Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Previously on The Fan of History, we talked about the earliest recorded music and some interesting inventions from the 950s BC, uh, peanut cultivation, ice skates, knitting, and magnets. So check out that episode if you're interested in learning about that. What happens in the 940s BC, Dan? A lot of things, actually, compared to last episode. Uh, and first, something really strange happened, and there are very few sources for this, but uh, I'll mention it. Remember, south of Egypt is the kingdom of Kush, or Nubia. And we don't know a lot about this kingdom, because since the new kingdom of Egypt fell, this area was lost to Egypt. This was conquered by Egypt during the power of the new kingdom in the 13th and 12th century BC. Uh, in 1070 BC, the new kingdom fell and lost Kush. But the country of Kush was pretty much uh, a part of Egypt, and they left cities and temples and stuff in Kush, and somebody picked that up. So um, Kush became like a second Egypt. But then there were forces in Kush that tried to get rid of the Egyptian influence. So... There is a guy called Asarkam, who is king of Kush. And in the year 949, uh, he attacks Egypt. So this Kushan army coming up the Nile, attacking Egypt from the south. And the Egyptians do not mention this. But this is during the time of Susanus II, the pharaoh. And we don't have any sources for this period. So it's not strange that it's not mentioned. But in the same decade, Kush is mentioned as uh, a trading partner in one note. Sorry, I'll take care of So, um, 
There is an attack and we don't know really what happened And it doesn't have any lasting effect on Egypt But uh, it seems that Kush is learning a lot from Egypt So remember this, that there is a kingdom south of Egypt That is influenced by Egypt and is becoming a sort of a copy of Egypt And that will be relevant later Also very early in this decade, Troy 7b3 that's archaeology. One layer of Troy is deserted. Troy is a city on uh, in the northwest of Turkey. And this is not the Troy of the Iliad. But it's a later settlement there. Which is uh, deserted at this time. And we have absolutely no idea why. And it might be... Co- we don't even know who actually lived in Troy at this time. But it happens about now in our narrative. In 945 BC, Susanus II, this mystery pharaoh of Egypt, who might have been the high priest as well, he dies. And uh, with him, the 21st dynasty of Egypt ends. And another dynasty will take over that we know more about than we know about Susanus II. But first, I want to talk about the 21st dynasty as a whole. Uh, They ruled Egypt from 1077 to 945 BC. It started with a guy called Smendes, who took over from a long line of Ramseses. Ramses III was a great pharaoh, and then everybody was named Ramses after him. So there was Ramses IV, V, and Ramses XI, I think, was the last pharaoh, the 20th dynasty. But Smendes had a problem at the start, because... Herihor was the high priest of Amun in the south and he did not agree to this so he ruled the south while Smendes ruled the north of Egypt and Egypt remained split during uh, most of the 21st dynasty but despite being this divided and it seems that the division was kind of friendly so they were not at war with each other Uh, So despite being divided, this dynasty was stronger than many of the dynasties that will come later. There were eight pharaohs in uh, the dynasty, and the greatest one was Susanus I, who ruled from 1047 to 1001 BC, and not 1004 BC, like I said earlier on the show. Uh, I'm not going to list the pharaohs here, you can find that in our YouTube show or on Wikipedia. Uh, but the legacy of the 21st dynasty is that they they had this division in Egypt and they sort of set this as a, a prerogative, something that had happened in Egypt, that Egypt had been split. So Egypt will consider power split in Egypt like a normal thing later. Uh, but they they survived for a long time and Egypt survived in a very, very dark age. So Egypt pulled through and the 21st dynasty helped accomplish that. But then uh, the 22nd dynasty begins. And it begins with a guy called Shoshenk. He is a Libyan. And this dynasty is called the Libyan or the Bubastite dynasty. And Shoshenk has a great title He before he becomes the pharaoh. He's the great chief of the Ma or also called the Great Chief of the Meshwesh. And this is a Libyan tribe. So uh, why is he Libyan? And you can see in this, 
in the Egyptian paintings, Libyans are depicted quite differently from uh, Egyptians. They are more fair-skinned and they often have blue eyes. And they always, always have a feather in their hair. So it's very clear when somebody is a Libyan. And Shoshenk is a Libyan. So did Libyans invade Egypt? No. This Shoshenk might be a Libyan, but he's really an Egyptian as well. Because his family has been around in Egypt. For over 200 years. And this is because Ramses III, the great pharaoh of the New Kingdom, he crushed the Libyans during the Bronze Age collapse when he saved the world and defeated the Sea Peoples. And Libyans were helping the Sea Peoples. So Ramses III has these great inscriptions of all the Libyans he captured. He captured whole Libyan armies and brought them to Egypt and enslaved them all. And he brought Libyan women and children as well. So he created a Libyan enclave in the north where everybody was uh, uh, subject to him. But now, 200 years later, the Libyans are still great warriors in service of the pharaoh. So the way Shoshenk becomes the pharaoh is the way anybody became the pharaoh in Egypt. He marries a daughter of uh, Susanus II. So it's actually, they thought it was the same dynasty that continued. Remember Osorkon the Elder, we talked about him earlier in an early episode. He was also Libyan, he's actually the uncle of Shoshenk. So the Egyptians don't think this is very strange. Uh, whereas many modern historians think, oh, the Libyans took over Egypt. But I don't think Egypt actually noticed this change. But they will notice Shoshenk because he is really strong and capable. And I might be giving too much away, but he's actually the best pharaoh of the whole 22nd dynasty as well. And he will create a high point in what is the third intermediate period, which covers the 21st to the 26th dynasty, perhaps. Or maybe all the dynasties remaining. Uh, and the first thing Shoshenk does, uh, he is in the Bible, and he's called Shishak in the Bible. Uh, what he does in the Bible, we're going to talk about in the 920s episode, because he also recorded it, so it did happen. But the first thing he does as the pharaoh of Egypt is that he makes sure that Egypt is not divided. So he terminates the hereditary succession of the high priesthood of Amun. And he assigns his sons to a lot of important... He has a lot of sons. And he assigns them to important positions. Uh, one of his sons, Iuput, becomes the governor of Upper Egypt. And this amazing son called Yeptafak... Let me try that again. Yeptafank becomes the third prophet of Amun. That's a high priestly position. He's not a prophet. He cannot predict the future. That's a biblical usage of the word prophet. Another son of Shoshenk, Nimlot, becomes the military commander in the south at Heracleopolis near Thebes. So Egypt is now united and it's strongly united. There are sons of Shoshenk everywhere. But Shoshenk still remains in the delta in the very north of Egypt, close to Libya. And that will cause us a problem because the delta is wet compared to most of Egypt. One of the reasons we know so much about Egypt 
is that Egypt is extremely dry. And in many parts of Egypt, it never rains. So stuff is preserved naturally. Uh, but not in the delta. And the Egyptians built only tombs to last. They don't build palaces and fortresses to last thousands of years. But they build their tombs out of stone. But they often build palaces, fortresses that are out of mud brick. And mud brick deter- deteriorates in um, deteriorates. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. In the Delta. So most of the stuff of the 22nd Dynasty is gone, uh, which will be a problem for us. Uh, so, Shoshenk, strong pharaoh in Egypt. In Europe, everything is still dark. Uh, the Villanovans are around in uh, Italy, as are the Latins, but they are not doing much and they are not very civilized. Greece is in the Dark Age. I- I'm curious, Dan. Uh, how. Uh, it seems like Europe's kind of nothing's been going on. Uh, we talked a little bit about Greece, but really not a lot going on. Uh, when do when do things really pick up in Europe? The Villanovans will enter their civilized phase in 900 BC, and I will have some dated events, although they are uh, not too strong in uh, 857 from Greece. But things will pick up uh, in uh, the eighth century BC. Okay. So we are still in for a long dark age in Europe. Yeah, sounds like it. In uh, 942 BC, someone becomes the king of Babylon, and I will now try to pronounce his name. Marbiti Adeidina uh, becomes the king of Babylon. And he uh, succeeded his brother, who was king for quite some time. Uh, these kings are known only from king's lists that come down to us through history. So Babylon is really a very unimportant place. They are not like the Assyrians. They have not preserved their heartland. They have preserved only a couple of cities in Babylonia, close to the great rivers. Uh, But I want to keep talking about Babylon because they will soon 
make a recovery and in the 6th century and the 7th century BC the recovery will be very strong and they also hold a special place in the hearts of the Assyrians so the Assyrians will be kind of obsessed with Babylon and not in a normal Assyrian aggressive way but they have a great respect for Babylon as an old ancient place and the Assyrians have a constant problem with people in Assyria worshipping Babylonian gods and they sort of they like the Babylonian gods. They see them as an as aspects of their own god, Asher, the god of war. So Babylon will remain important for several hundreds of years. But right now, their big problem is that their country is overrun by Arameans. They call them the Sutians, and the Arameans arrived in the Near East during the Bronze Age collapse. They were actually one of the major causes of the Bronze Age collapse. And they are not your regular invasion because they don't conquer. They uh, hang around in the countryside. They steal your stuff. They uh, raid your farms. They they just cause chaos. But they don't like to live in cities and towns. So they, they stay in the countryside and disrupt order. Uh, they destroyed the Middle Assyrian Empire in the 11th century BC under the great king Tiglath-Pileser I. And they will influence history a lot by using a very, very easy language. So Aramean is extremely easy to learn. And uh, when they learn to write in Phoenician letters, it turns out that Aramean is extremely easy to learn to read and write as well. And this is the reason that Jesus Christ spoke Aramean. He didn't speak Greek or Hebrew or anything else. He spoke Aramean. And the reason why is that the language sort of took over the Near East. Uh, not at this time, but later. Because it was so easy to learn. You can know that something is Aramean if it starts with Aram or Bit. So uh, there will be a lot of tribes called Bit something later in our narrative. But something special happens in Syria and southern Turkey, where the Arameans run into the Neo-Hittites. These are pockets of the Hittite Empire that have survived. There are like city-states of important cities from the Hittite Empire that are still there. And they have this amazing art that they live in the good old days. They think that, oh, the empire never fell. We are keeping the empire going. And the Arameans react very differently to these city-states. And they get convinced that, oh wow, these guys are great. They have all these great uh, gods and statues and stuff. So they, instead of disrupting the Neohittites, they merge with them. So we will see in the 9th century BC several Neohittite Aramean city-states where these people have merged. Uh, but one truly Aramean city-state that will rise is Damascus. So Aram-Damascus, we will use that term to differentiate it from uh, the Damascus of later times. But Aram-Damascus will soon become the most powerful of all the Aramean states. But at this time, in the 940s BC, uh, there are no Aramean states. Well, I know previously we were talking about how they were kind of terrorizing the the uh, Assyrians. Um, is that 
and the Babylonians. Is that still going on? Or, I mean, you said they're disrupting order, um, but they're not, you know, gaining ground. They're just a nuisance. A nuisance. They are just a nuisance. Earlier in the last century, they actually took cities from the Assyrians and destroyed them. But uh, now they're just a nuisance. And the Assyrians have uh, a new weapon against the Arameans. Because these are the Arameans that are next to the Arameans that are mingling with the Neo-Hittites. So the Assyrians notice this. And they try to assimilate the Arameans as well. And they don't have much success yet. But soon they will begin assimilating Arameans into Assyria. Make them Assyrians. Because they, they're not merging with the Assyrians, uh, with the Arameans. They are actually recruiting them and trying to make them Assyrians. Uh, what's going on in Assyria other than trying to assimilate the Arameans into Assyria? Well, Tiglath-Pileser II is the king. And he will rule until 935 BC. And I did him injustice in, my, in the YouTube show. Because I've learned things since then about him. So Tiglath-Pileser is actually campaigning. He's taking the army of Assyria... And the army of Assyria is soldier by soldier the best fighting men in the world. They have iron, they have iron weapons, they are really, they have this great warrior culture where um, people learn to fight. And he's bringing the royal Assyrian army out of Assyria. And he's campaigning not against, he's pr- he probably campaigned against the Arameans, but we don't know that. But he's going north to the source of the Tigris. And we know this because at the source of the Tigris River in the mountains to the north, pretty much in what is today Armenia, the area Armenia, eastern Turkey, uh, there, at the source of the Tigris there is a tunnel, a cave, sort of. And in this place, Assyrian kings of old used to do, uh, used to write things on the wall. And we have inscriptions from Tiglath-Pileser II saying that he raided north three times and beat up people living there, uh, among whom were some Arameans. But So this king is not uh, sitting around just saving Assyria, but he is actually projecting Assyrian power outside of Assyria, before the Neo-Assyrian Empire. Uh, we are getting closer to said empire, who will soon arise. And it will actually be Tiglath-Pileser's grandson, who is the first king of the Neo-Syrian Empire. Uh, what's going on What's going on over in the Americas right now at this time, Dan? Yeah, last time we had a lot of problems in San Lorenzo, the ceremonial center of the Olmec culture in Mexico. And... With these problems in San Lorenzo, other ceremonial centers are rising to prominence. And first among them is La Venta. It is uh, in a much worse site when when the Olmecs were uh, more powerful earlier. Because they didn't defend San Lorenzo. They didn't need to. But La Venta is located in uh, swamps. They are very hard. It's much harder to attack. And this place is getting all the attention that San Lorenzo used to get. So San Lorenzo is declining. And uh, I'll put in one random Olmec fact in this episode. Despite living in Mexico close to the sea, the Olmecs hated seafood. They never ate seafood. Instead, their preferred food was 
Oh, they had a lot of maize and uh, things they cultivated, but they were really happy when they get to eat their dogs. So they eat a lot of dog. In uh, India, we don't know anything from this period. Kuru is the strongest Aryan nation in the north. And that's about it from the 940s BC. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us about that, Dan. Next time on the 930s BC episode, we'll be meeting two new people, the Poverty Point Culture and the Chavin. Oh, the Chavin, I love them. So please check it out. Check us out on YouTube. Subscribe, like, and share. Uh, give us reviews on iTunes. So give us feedback because that's uh, that will help us keep going. Um, thank you for listening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, we do appreciate your feedback. And we are we do interact, uh, especially on the Facebook page. So uh, let us know what you think. Thanks for listening.